Hello, friend. Welcome back to Meg Living Inside Out. This is episode 18 of our series on friendship. Why confrontation is necessary. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Matthew 7, verse 1 through 6. Now, we've talked about this section of verses previously on A Beginner's Guide to Confrontation, which I literally just recorded five minutes ago, and I'm releasing two months apart, and that's the way podcasts go. But I want to talk about why confrontation is necessary. We've talked about what it looks like on a very basic level, and now we're going to look at these verses both in front of and behind it this passage that we've already discussed, and look at what they say. So first of all, in verse 1, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. This is probably the most taken-out-of-context verse in modern culture today. And it's terrible. (laughs) So... In Scripture, previously in... Elsewhere in the book of Matthew, a chapter away, we have very clear instruction to evaluate fruit. We are instructed to be proactively thinking about and evaluating there is good coming from this person's life or there is not good coming from this person's life. And so I'm not talking about evaluating whether someone is contributing or not. I'm talking about judgment. And this is when we look down at somebody and we're like, ugh, I can't believe they would do that. Or why don't they know any better? Number one, confrontation is necessary so that we don't judge people. Something I've noticed, some of us are better at identifying areas of improvement in other people than others. I'm going to say that again because I just need to clarify. Some of us are better at identifying areas of improvement in people than others. God determines who he wants to make more sensitive or less sensitive within the body of Christ, within his created humanity. And those of us who are more sensitive have a responsibility to... One, not judge people. And two, confront when we see things that need to be changed. And this is a really difficult trap (laughs) to get out of. It's a very easy trap to fall into. I have been there. I have confronted people um, who have been there. And, ooh, it's it's not easy. Um, And one of the things that I have found is 
if I'm in a place where I judge people consistently, I will turn around and judge myself just as harshly as I am judging them. And that is <clears throat> that is a mental habit that I would not recommend <laughs> at all. So understanding that confrontation is one of the antidotes to judgment. Also learning to overlook offenses. And that is a reference to a proverb whose verse reference escapes me, but it's in the book of Proverbs. You can find it with a concordance. Um, Overlooking an offense is a glory. And there are a lot of things in life where we do need to overlook offenses. Um, But knowing when to overlook it and when to confront and be intentional in making that decision is the key to not falling into harshly judging people. Now, I want to switch gears and look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This verse, in context of this whole confrontation thing, you know, Jesus does not put words next to each other haphazardly. He is the God of the universe, and he is intentional beyond human comprehension. So, what is he saying with this verse about dogs and pigs next to confrontation, eye surgery with your brother? Well, this is a clarifier of people who are not your brother. You know, if you're in a parking lot and somebody hit their car door, hits yours, and they decide to get mad about it, even though you were just there watching them, and then they drive off and flip the bird or whatever, that is someone who is not going to be receptive to any kind of confrontation. This verse is literally comparing that person to an untrained wild dog or a wild pig or boar that is just it's going to eat whatever it is in front of it and it's only looking out for itself it is an animal and it is behaving like an animal in this case it is a human who is behaving like an animal and in case you think that's derogatory peep <laughs> jesus relatively consistently compared humans to animals He compared his followers to sheep and fish, and he compared compared the Pharisees to a brood of vipers and snakes, and he compared Herod to a fox. This is red-letter text, Jesus, in the Gospels. Go read it for yourself. You're a big person. I believe in you. Or listen to the audio Bible or something. Figure out a way. Get somebody else to read the Gospels for you. Beg them something. Do not, do not not be in scripture and not know what it says. So, this verse is warning us not to confront people who are behaving like animals. Do not waste your time, energy, and attention on people who we don't have relationship with. They're not receptive. And it's better to just draw boundaries and walk away. 
And so what does a boundary look like in this case? Well, you know, if there's a wild dog outside, I can shut my front door and go inside and feel safe, even if it's making up a racket. And I might call animal control services. Not that that's ever happened, but um, I've been very fortunate to only meet nice dogs in my entire life, and I'm very grateful for that. Also, I have a side quest that I want to pet every dog that exists, and I'm just trying to add to that list as much as humanly possible. But if I see a dog that's growling at me or has, you know, aggressive body language, I'm not going to go in and try to be friends. You know, wisdom, (laughs) wisdom is required. Discernment is required. And so identifying when someone is acting like an animal, that is... (laughs) That is your that is your pass of like, okay, we're just not going to deal with this and I'm going to move on with my life. Moving on with my life is a phrase that I picked up from my husband, Ben, and I'm incredibly grateful for it. Of like, okay, this was a, I spent a dollar more here than I did here. I'm moving on with my life. Uh, this thing was complicated and this is the only way, this is the only moderately functional resolution. Okay, I'm I've already put 2 or 3 hours into this. I'm going to move on with my life. It's a wonderful phrase that goes back to overlooking offenses from the book of Proverbs. Now, unfortunately, there are times where you are in relationship with your brother and you need to keep confronting. And Matthew 18 talks about this. So, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Pause. This is Matthew 18, verse 15. And this verse summarizes what we've already talked about in Matthew 7, about telling your brother his speck. So, that's the longer version of what we just read here. Continuing in verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this goes back to a pattern sin. Um, or, you know, if, there, if there's a pattern sin, then there should be someone who witnessed it. Or, <laughs> In the cases of abuse, there might be no witnesses or that sort of thing. And you may need help investigating. And in which case, um, yeah, there's better resources out there. We're talking about generic confrontation today. So if that is a situation you've been in, please keep in mind that this is generic confrontation right now and (sighs) millstone millstones for yeah yeah especially sexual abuse it uh, there's verses about that and I don't know them off the top of my head and that's why I'm stuttering but ideally if you have someone else who has identified who's recognized the patterns in um, with you, you can take them and confront. And this is called 
multiple rounds of confrontation. And is it tedious? Yeah. Is it fun? No. Is it worthy? Yes. It is very much worthy. Now there's an important dynamic here that I want to address. For there to be two or three witnesses to go and confront someone, that means that you do need to talk about their sin with these other people. I want to clarify that that is not gossip. And if you are also processing a situation with someone so that you can get a better perspective, so that you can more gently confront them, I also do not qualify that as gossip. Um, find a good counselor. Find, And by counselor, I mean someone who is older in the faith than you are, who you've evaluated the fruit of your life, and you, to the best of your abilities, you recognize that they are being fruitful in their life for Christ. The, 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 the work of sanctification is glowing. Go to them and ask them for help evaluating a situation. Ask them to keep what you say in confidence. And if they are a wise and mature Christian, they will do that for you and they will help you with that. And asking a mature Christian for counsel is not gossip. Asking another witness for how to best handle a confrontation is not gossip. And again, wisdom and discernment, pray about who you talk to, sit on it for a while. Don't rush into things. Again, we're talking about eye surgery. Continuing on in verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is the third and biggest step in the process. And essentially, if you're in church together, it means you go to the church leadership. Um, If you are in a business environment or you're in a family setting, you go to the highest authority within that social structure. Why do we do this? Why is confrontation necessary? Well, Adam Grant did a TED Talk about givers and takers. And he made the observation that a healthy society is made up of givers and matchers. So the givers initiate taking care of other people and the matchers reciprocate in kind. But he found that you have to remove takers from the environment. Otherwise, the the matchers will match taking with the takers and the givers will get burned out <laughs> and give up. What makes a person a giver or a taker or a matcher? It is very simply, how selfish are they? And how do they act on that selfishness? How do they deal with that selfishness? I recognize my selfishness and I take it to the cross. And I pound it at the foot of the cross until I can walk away and I can put the other person in front of me. Friend, let me tell you something. I have to do that every single day. 
you're listening to these podcasts and you must be thinking, wow, she is such a great person. Let me tell you something. I look in my past and I look at my relationship with my husband today and my family and all I see are my inadequacies. And yes, I'm glad that my friends appreciate me and my husband appreciates me, but and and I need to rejoice in those things more. But I see so much room for imp- improvement. I see so much so many pet sins that chase me on a regular basis that I need to okay, watch out for that one. Watch out for that one. And um my friend is launching a business and I've been encouraging her and she's like, "Oh my gosh, you were such a good friend to me." And I every time I sa- she says that, I think to myself, "Girl, I've been a really awful friend to a lot of people, and it is because of that that I have learned how to be a good friend. So it is of vital importance that we choose to become givers in our community, or at the very least, practice matching with those who give to us. And Adam Ford correctly identified, Adam Grant, excuse me, correctly identified that you have to remove takers from the social environment to maintain a healthy environment. This process of confrontation is necessary for that removal. Now, in church terms, we call this church discipline. You may have heard the word excommunication. And essentially, in big word circles, excommunication is a fancy word for you shun people who are not repentant, who are not changing, who are selfish, and they're not, they're clinging to that selfishness. Continuing on with verse 17. If he refuses to listen to the two or three witnesses, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In Jewish cultures, a Gentile is a heathen, an outsider. They're not part of your community or your social circle. A tax collector is someone who, within your community or social circle, was originally part of it, but then they chose to sell themselves out and they chose to be employed by the Roman government to collect taxes from the community and then from those taxes take their living. You know, collect what the government asked them to and then collect more to pay for their time collecting those taxes. Now, (laughs) if your cousin that you grew up with and you love, ideally you have cousins that you love, it's great if you have them. If you don't, don't worry about it. I'm just trying to make an analogy. If you have a cousin that you love and they start, and they show up at your door and be like, hey, Roman government needs money. And you're like, excuse you? Why are you at my door asking for money for the Roman government? And they're like, because I signed up. You know, the perks seemed worth it. And if you say no, 
then you have the Roman government at your door pounding down your door, taking your money. So your cousin that you love has now is now extorting you. And Jesus had words about taxes. We're not talking about that here. But that obviously put a damper on the relationship. <laughs> so this is betrayal. This is someone who was part of the community, but by their actions and employment, they chose not to be part of the community. So you honor their existence. You honor the image of God, the Imago Day that God has put inside of them, but you don't associate with them. They are not part of community. And again, the word Gentile here, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples who are all Jewish. And they understand this to mean a very cultural community thing. And there are many examples within both the Old and New Testament of righteous Gentiles who believed God, who we will meet on the other side. I myself am a Gentile. My heritage is German. Like, I don't know that I have any Jewish in me at all, but I'm grafted in to the kingdom of God, the family of Christ, and we've got verses about that, and they're beautiful. But within this context, Jesus is talking about the Jewish community, and these are the key words that related to the Jewish community. In verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. I don't fully understand these verses, but what I do know is that it has to do with decision making. And it has to do with deciding about this community issue. The, the two or three verse where, who are gathered in my name, that is often that is often used to talk about fellowship and, you know, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And that is not the correct context for this verse. So... While I still need to learn more about the meaning of this verse, you know, what's the Greek behind it? Let me go find a commentary. Let me go find my study Bible, read up on it. What I do know is it has to do with decision making. And again, you're not gossiping, but you're lifting this person up before the Lord and you're asking him, how do we associate with this person? Or more specifically, how do we not associate with this person? Within dysfunctional families, there is very often this expectation of, sure, we have this crap under the rug, but we're going to go and associate anyways. We're going to go to Thanksgiving dinner. And forced interaction, when there is unresolved conflict, is one of the worst recipes for human interaction, human existence. I... I've lived it, and if you have lived it, I'm sorry. It really, really stinks. Um, and that, my friend, that is exactly why confrontation 
is necessary. If this podcast has given you something to think about, something you need to work through and process, I would encourage you to visit the link in the description, inversestream.com slash podcast slash friendship. There will be a web form there that will connect you with a digital mentor who wants to help and encourage you in your walk with Christ. This is not a professional counselor, simply a Christian who wants to encourage you. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Meg. I love my Jesus, and I believe in living inside out. Now it's your turn. Go and live it.